If you've been blessed by the ministry of Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point, we would love to offer you two free ways to stay connected. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash magazine for a subscription to our monthly Turning Points magazine. Each exclusive issue is filled with encouraging articles and daily devotionals to strengthen your spiritual walk. You can also sign up to receive our daily email devotional and be a part of our community of friends who receive daily encouragement delivered straight to their inbox from Dr. Jeremiah. Written in a thought-provoking manner, this concise yet profound daily devotional delivers the refreshment and focus you need as you go about in today's world. You can join the more than 600,000 monthly subscribers who are building their faith each month through these free resources. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. Welcome to Turning Point. In a culture that celebrates personal achievement and the accumulation of wealth, have we forgotten how to be thankful to God? Today, Dr. David Jeremiah turns to Psalm 33 for some much-needed perspective on praising God for His provision of every blessing we enjoy. Listen now as David introduces his special message, The Anatomy of Praise. Friends, since we started this series, Making Sense of It All, we visited the Psalms several times, and uh, every time we visit the Psalms, we end up talking about praise and worship because most of David's Psalms begin with a sigh and end with a song. So we thought we'd end this series, Making Sense of It All, with a couple of days of just describing what is praise. We've called this message, The Anatomy of Praise. And if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn to Psalm 33 and uh, follow along as we study this last message in the month of February. And speaking of the last message in the month of February, let me remind you that the series, Making Sense of It All, is available in CD form and also as a study guide. You take those two resources and you're ready to start having a discussion with your friends about all of these encouraging messages that were meant to lift you up and strengthen you during these uh, challenging days. Find out all about this by going to davidjeremiah.org. There you can find all about this product and many other resources that are available to you from our ministry. I want to take just a moment and remind you that one of the great assets uh, that we have at Turning Point is our magazine. I was shocked the other day to find out that we're sending that magazine to over 450,000 people around the world who are um, reading it and being blessed by it. And you can be one of those people if you want to be. Just ask about it when you call or write. Go to our website. You can find out more details about this monthly edition that comes right into your home to bring blessing to your life. Well, we're going to find out about praise today. Psalm 33, The Anatomy of Praise, Part 1. Americans enjoy a lifestyle that is 99.4% better than all of the human beings who have ever lived throughout history. And yet in this consumer culture, there's no such thing as having enough. Everyone wants more. Advertising and marketing fan the flames of discontent and covetousness. So there's always the newest fashion, the latest model, the next upgrade that everyone else already has, and we've just got to have it. So people buy more, and they're satisfied less. 
griping rises with income, according to two economists who studied the U.S. and four other wealthy nations. The economists concluded that the more money people have, the more things they can do with their time. Time becomes more valuable, and people increasingly resent that they can't create more time, and so they gripe about it. They now have this, and they have that. They didn't have before, but they don't have time to enjoy it. And they're always carping uh, with each other because they haven't been here and they can't go there. When are we going to have time to do this? Which before they never had the problem because they didn't have all those things. People can create income, but they can't create time. And so when they get more income and more toys and more things to do and they can't create the time to enjoy them, then they gripe about it. So as income goes up, griping goes up. Something wrong with that. There's a book called The Paradox of Choice, Why More is Less. This book cites that consumers can compare between 220 new car models, 250 breakfast cereals, 40 different household soaps, 500 different health insurance policies, 300 different mutual funds, and 35 different kinds of shower heads. (laughs) And people feel overwhelmed by all the choices. And they feel after they've made the buy that they may have made the wrong decision. And then they worry that maybe they didn't get the right one that they should have gotten. So it all just keeps complicating things. A life that should be better isn't better. Greg Easterbrook's well-received book, The Progress Paradox, says people feel worse when things get better. (laughs) That's the paradox. He cites the amazing rise in American standard of living. But here's the paradox. In the same period that people's material lives have improved dramatically, their inner lives have declined. Depression, loneliness, frustration are all much higher than they were 50 years ago, even though we are a much more prosperous nation now than we were then. Here is Estabrook's prescription, and as far as I know, he is not a Christ follower. Here's what he said. He said, we need to stop focusing on ourselves and instead concentrate on being grateful for our daily blessings, on the deeper truths of what really matter in life, and on what we can do to help our neighbors around the world. If we would do that, then the happiness that we thought we could get with more things would return to our heart. And that's why it's a marvelous thing that once a year we set aside a period of time just sort of to focus on the importance of being thankful. Because you see, being thankful is not something we do naturally. As Christians, we do it supernaturally. Uh, Being thankful is something that we have to discipline ourselves to do even in the midst of the surplus that so many of us have. And that's why I wanted us to look at this psalm today, because this psalm helps us do that. It gives us reasons why we should be thankful It gives us how we can respond as thankful people, and then it gives us the results of doing it in our lives. And we have to begin the psalm sort of in the middle, because that's the way the progress is as you think through this whole issue. Psalm 33 is one of the psalms in the Bible that doesn't have a title, and some people believe that's because it really belongs to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 is the psalm that describes David's guilt over what he had done. It's his entry in his journal during the year that he did not confess his sin, and he talks about how hard it was until he was finally forgiven. 
Psalm 33 is a song. And some scholars believe that Psalm 32 describes uh, what it was like to be out of fellowship with God, and Psalm 33 describes the song that David wrote when he got back in fellowship. He cries out in one of his penitential psalms, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. In Psalm 33, it seems like that's what happened. His joy got restored, and he wrote this beautiful psalm to help us be reminded that we have a lot to be thankful for. Amen? All of us do. But let's take a moment and review some of the reasons why we should be thankful. And we have to begin our study in this psalm in the fourth verse, where we are learning how to be thankful, and our praise, first of all, to God is praise for his word. We are to praise God for his word. Notice what it says in verses 4 and 5. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Now the psalmist says the first thing he wants to be thankful for, and he wants us to be thankful for, is the word of God. How many of you brought your Bibles? Lift them up. Let me see them. Let me see how many of you you have a copy of the Word of God. Now look, this is an unbelievable thing. Everybody's got a Bible. This is the Word of God. And the psalmist says we don't want to ever get to the place where we are unthankful for the Word of God or we take it for granted. And here's what he says about the Word of God. Number one, he said his Word is pure. Verses 4 and 5, he says the Word of the Lord is right. And his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his goodness. This is a true word. This is a pure word. This is a word we can trust in the midst of a world that is filled with uncertainty, where no one seems to believe anymore there are any absolutes. Let me just tell you, here's a book full of absolutes. If you want to know what's right and what's wrong, you can find it here. If you really want to know, you can find it. God hasn't changed his mind. God didn't rewrite the Bible at the beginning of our generation. He didn't do that. The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, the Bible says it's settled in heaven forever. And the Bible says it's pure. Oh, how we need that in this day, and how grateful we ought to be for it. So often we have so many copies of the Bible, so many translations, so many paraphrases, so many iterations. We have DVD Bibles, and we have CD Bibles, and we listen to the Bible and if we're not careful, we just sort of take it for granted, like it's always been here and it's our entitlement, but it is not. There are places, as you well know, in the world where they have no copies of the Bible. Even as we are here today, people are smuggling Bibles into places where if they have one page of the Bible, they feel blessed. We have it all. We have all 66 books. We have the inspired Word of God in our hands. It is the pure Word of God. Do you treasure that, and are you grateful for it? We had a man come to our church. Many of you remember him. When we dedicated this building, his name was W.A. Criswell. He was the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, a rather, rather famous, famous church and a well-known pastor. He is with the Lord now. He lived to be in his mid-90s and preached right up to the very end. But he came to dedicate our church, and I'll never forget it because... In the middle of his sermon, he was talking about the importance of the Word of God and its preciousness, and he said, we send our kids off sometimes to the secular universities, and when they go to the secular universities, the Word of God is robbed from them. The university professors who have great influence in their lives at that particular time make fun of the Bible, and they undercut the Scripture, and they, they take the Bible away. 
And in his dramatic way of presenting his message, he had a New Testament that he was preaching out of. And he said, they just destroy the Bible. They take it from the, and they make the Bible no longer a part. Of, and he threw his Bible out into the middle of the center aisle. I was sitting in the third row. It scared me to death. I'll never forget it. And he went on with his sermon and talked about the Word of God. And I, I will never, this is a vision I have that I remember to this day. And he said, oh, how we ought to cherish the Bible. And he came down off the stage and he came to the center aisle and he got down on his knees and he put his hands up underneath the New Testament and he drew it to himself and he treasured it in front of us all. He said, don't let them take away the treasure of the Word of God. Oh, how we need that today. Because you see, even in our churches, so-called evangelical churches, they're moving away from the Word of God. They're saying the Word of God is not relevant enough for our needs today. They say that the Bible doesn't touch us where we live. And when they say that, they just expose their ignorance. They need to read the book they're criticizing because there is no book that's ever been written that is more to the point of our need in this generation than the pure Word of God. And if we don't understand that, we are going to be set loose into a sea of uncertainty that ends up nowhere. How we should treasure the Word of God, thank God for His Word, because His Word is pure. Notice, His Word is also powerful. His Word is powerful. Verses 6 through 9, it says, For by the Word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up them deep in the storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The psalmist uses the book of Genesis as an illustration for the power of the word of God. How did the world come into being? The Bible says, by the breath of his mouth. He spoke, and it happened. And God said, Eight times in Genesis 1, you read that phrase, and God said. He spoke, and the heavens were created. He spoke, and the earth was created. He spoke, and the animals were created. He spoke, and he breathed life into us, and we were created. And the psalmist is simply saying, the written word is the inscripturization of the spoken word, and the word of God is powerful. How powerful? It is so powerful that when God speaks, worlds are created. Don't ever lose your respect for the Word of God. I'll tell you something. This book changes lives. We see it every week in our baptistry testimonies. It's the Word of God. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces to the very centermost part of your being. It cleanses. It convicts. It is the seed of God, His precious Word. It is pure and it is Powerful. Well, the psalmist goes on to say we should not only be grateful for the pure and powerful word of God, but continue to read in this psalm and you'll discover we're also to be thankful for his works. Praise him, first of all, for his providential work. Verses 10 and 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. That's what the psalm says. What is he saying? This is all a commentary on Proverbs 19.21 that goes like this. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that's what stands. Let me just share with you what this means as far as I can understand it. Let me unpack this just a moment. 
The psalmist is saying, in the midst of all the chaos of our culture, in the midst of all of the changes that we're facing, and with the midst of all of the uncertainty that seems on the horizon of every one of our lives, in the midst of all of that stands the sure counsel of Almighty God, who is in charge. And he has not gone on vacation. He is not sleeping. He has not turned his head. You say, well, what about all of the things that seem like there's so much chaos, and God does not cause them, but behind them, he still controls them. And ultimately, he is in charge. You could be a very fearful person right now if you wanted to be, and some people really are. Some people have a hard time sleeping at night for fear of what might happen in our world. You know, I'm not trying to be naive about all of the dangers that are around us and the problems that we could have, but I I don't fear that because my times are in his hands. I'm God's. He's mine. When God's done with me, he'll take me to a better place. You know, if everything falls apart down here, guess what? I get a promotion. Amen? That's what happens. I have a little saying in my Bible that goes like this. God's man in the center of God's will is immortal until God's through with him. And that's a wonderful truth, isn't it? To know that you're in the hands of Almighty God. As long as he wants you to be where you are doing what you're doing, You're in his hands and you're immortal. Now, don't be crazy about that and be presumptuous. It's easy to be silly about that. If you jump off the top of a building without a parachute, it's over, you know. (laughs) But your times are in his hands. He's providential in your life. His counsel is from one generation to another. He never changes. Isn't that interesting? The you know, change is going on in our culture right now so rapidly that there are whole institutes being set up to study the impact of it. It has an amazing impact on your life and mine. They tell us now that as CEOs, they have to make decisions in 15% of the time they used to have to make them 10 years ago. In other words, everything is squeezed into a shorter period of time, and the pressure is overwhelming, and the stress that puts on people. But you know what? God isn't in a hurry, and God isn't stressed out, and God's the same. His counsel endures. So what is the secret there, friends? Stay in touch with him. (laughs) Lock into him. Hang on to him. Because he's the one that will give you sanity in the midst of the insanity that we have in our world today. His word is pure. His word is powerful. And we praise him for his providential work. Not only that, but we praise him for his preserving work. And I've got to hurry here because I don't want to lose time in telling us how we're going to do this. Verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen for his own inheritance. What is that saying? It's simply saying God is in the preserving work. He preserves nations. He's preserved our nation. I think we may be living on the edge of that preservation if we don't start doing some things differently than we have. But this is a nation under God, believe it or not. In God we trust. And I'm not ashamed to say that. We shouldn't be either. God has preserved us. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And God exalts a nation that is righteous. He preserves us by his power. What makes the American nation stand out? There's only one explanation. It's the presence of God. You say, well, that's not right. God would have particular interest in our nation. Well, it is right because this nation was founded on the principles of God's word. And as we continue to little by little get away from that, we can sense it's starting to unravel, isn't it? But it wasn't that way in the beginning. God preserved this nation. And blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. What other nations print in God we trust on their money and on their monuments? We're the only nation that's doing that because God has been at the forefront of us and all that we do. 
is an enduring, preserving work. But notice, he also has a protecting work. And, and this is a wonderful truth because he protects us, verses 13 and follow. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks. On all the inhabitants of the earth, he fashions their hearts individually and considers all their works. This section of the psalm presents the omniscience of God in striking terms. In his omniscience, he protects us. What is omniscience? It means God sees everything at all times. He knows everything. He is all-knowing, omni-all, science to know. And if you read through this, you will see that the word see and look is there. In fact, some have looked at this psalm and said, this is the psalm of the eye. (laughs) Because verse 13 says, the Lord sees all mankind. Verse 14 says, he watches all who live on the earth. Verse 15 says, he who forms the hearts of all considers everything they do. Verse 18 says, the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him. Let me just tell you something, friend. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you can't hide from God. God sees you. He sees us all. And most of the time, that should be an encouragement, unless you're doing something you shouldn't, and then you wish you could hide. But he sees you nonetheless. He's the omniscient God. But notice, not only does he see us in his protection, but he has the power to do something about it. The omniscience of God in this psalm is followed by the omnipotence of God. Once again, omnipotence means all-powerful. Omni, all, potent, powerful. He's all-powerful. What good would it be if God could see you in the midst of your situation and not have any power to do anything about it? But notice what the scripture says. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. Mighty man is not delivered by great strength. Horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. In other words, don't put your hope in human exercises. Don't say, oh, we're safe. We got a great military, lots of money and implements. The Bible says here in the language of that day, don't put your trust in horses because they'll let you down. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. You know, our only hope of being protected is in God. We have to cast our lot with him. He sees us. He knows what's going on in our... He's not taken by surprise by all this craziness we're going through right now, all this multiculturalism and political rightness and Nobody wants to say anything bad about anyone else, and there's no truth because everybody's truth is truth, whether it's your truth or my truth, and it cancels each other out, it's still truth. That's such absurdity, isn't it? It's just absurd. Nobody would ever think like that. But you know, I'm not worrying about that anymore. You know why? He sees it, and he's in charge. He's got his hand in all of this, and he's superintending the whole thing. He's an all-powerful God. So you praise him for his word, and you praise him for his works. Now here's the question. How do you praise him? I'm glad you asked. Because we're going to talk about that right now. Go back to the beginning of the psalm, and let's talk about the responses of praise and thanksgiving in verses 1 through 3. In the first three verses of this psalm, we are commanded to praise the Lord. Did you know that? This is a command. You say, well, Pastor, you have to understand, that's just not what I do. Well, you better get to doing it because it's a command. It's a command. And first of all, we're to praise the Lord obediently. It's not possible to read the first three verses of this psalm without a clear understanding of the priority of worship. In fact, there are six different expressions in the first three verses that are used to call us to praise and thanksgiving. And all of these are in the tense of the imperative. They're commands. Have you heard anybody say recently, you know, 
I come to church. I actually sometimes I come late because I'm not into worship or I'm not into music. I love the message, but I I don't really like the worship or maybe the style of worship. You know what? That's not an option if you're a Christian because the Bible commands you to praise God. So if you say I'm not into praise, what you're saying is I'm not into God. Don't ever do that. You say, well, I can't sing. The Bible says you got to make a joyful noise. Come and enter into the worship. And, and when you do, you will find that God will meet you there. And we'll find out more about that tomorrow. But isn't it interesting how directly Psalm 33 calls us to praise, and there is no option. And there is no option for you either. God wants you to be in his choir. So sign up and get ready. Don't forget, friends, we're almost at the end of the opportunity for you to get Rob Morgan's book on Romans 8, 28, 28 words and 200 pages dealing with those words to help you and strengthen you and undergird you during this um, very sensitive time. So uh, if you haven't done so already, send a gift to help us during the last two days of this month. Your gift helps us buy airtime, and it creates the resources we need for the production of this program. That's what it goes to. I don't get any of this money. It goes to Turning Point for the expansion of the Word of God around the world. So help us if you can. And when you send your gift, whatever size it is, ask for your copy of this incredible book by my friend Rob Morgan. The book will change your life. It will encourage you and strengthen you. Whatever's coming down the road, when you have your Romans 8.28 moment, you'll have the manual to help you through it. And uh, tomorrow we'll finish up the month of February with part two of the Anatomy of Praise from Psalm 33. I hope you'll join us then. Until then, this is David Jeremiah. Thank you so much for being a part of our study time today. We'll see you next time on this good station. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's special message, The Anatomy of Praise, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of Robert J. Morgan's book of comfort and encouragement. God works all things together for your good. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your smartphone or tablet or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries to access our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as Dr. David Jeremiah concludes his special message, The Anatomy of Praise, here on Turning Point. the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Bernard Baruch was a financial investor who became wealthy and then became an economic advisor to Presidents Franklin Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson. 
His exposure to the financial and political worlds led him to this conclusion. Vote for the man who promises least. He'll be the least disappointing. That pessimistic outlook on politicians reminds me of something Jesus said. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In other words, say what you mean and mean what you say. If you make promises, keep them. If you have given your word to someone but have yet to fulfill that promise, let your yes become yes today. And this is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's promises on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.